0: Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19
1: crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shiv Gulani, and today I'm really excited to welcome to Raise the Line someone whose work on behavior change has made a real impact in my own life. Dr. BJ Fogg is a researcher and teacher at Stanford University, and the founder and director of its Behavior Design Lab. He's perhaps best known for his recent New York Times bestseller, Tiny Habits, which details an approach to behavior change based on decades of work coaching more than 60,000 people. I'll be asking him to break down the method, how it can be applied by frontline healthcare workers to manage their own burnout and how they might use it to help their patients with behavior change. One last note, when we were just starting Osmosis, I actually used the FOG behavior model uh, to design some of the features we were putting into Osmosis, including the push notifications, uh, which are now called prompts in this behavior model, to drive constant studying and reviewing of content. So with that, BJ, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'd like to start first with learning more about you and what got you interested in the subject of behavior. Wow. Well, I think I just
0: grew up in a family and a culture that really emphasized optimizing your life and your health and your wellness and so on. Uh, my dad was a physician, and I remember going to the gym with him for years. Um, even though he was super busy, he made time for that. And then within the larger religious community we belong to, so much of that was about taking care of yourself and optimizing who you are. And so I think it was a really natural thing for me as I got older to try to understand how human behavior really works, and then later to discover, I didn't know I was going to discover this, but discover an entirely new way of helping people create habits. And then once I figured that out, then sharing it just seemed really, really natural.
1: Yeah, totally. And and again, I think you've been able to boil down a lot of this in a very digestible and reproducible way. I mean, I, you don't have to read the full book, even though I highly recommend reading the full book to our audience. And I actually bought several copies for my friends and family to go through all of the ways people can change their behavior with tiny habits. But maybe the first thing we should start with is maybe the fog behavior model. I mean, you have a, a yeah. two minute explainer, and one of the things you encourage people to do is be able to explain this behavior model within a minute or two to, to their friends and family. Can we put you on the spot and have you explain it to our audience? Absolutely. Not on the spot at all. I love I teaching and sharing. Uh,
0: in general, my work is called behavior design. At Stanford, we came up with that phrase to describe what we were doing. And it's a new set of models and methods. The cornerstone model is just that, the fog behavior model. And usually I draw it out when I explain it. but uh, So I'll explain it without visuals. It goes like this. Behavior, any behavior happens when three things come together at the same moment. Number one, there's motivation to do the behavior. Number two, there has to be ability to do the behavior. And number three is a prompt. It's the thing that says, do this behavior now. And if any one of those things is missing, then the behavior won't happen. And so that's like a 30 second description of it. And there's a way to show it visually that shows that ability and motivation are, they work in a compensatory way that can be traded off. And I'll just give a quick, description, if something is really easy to do, then you don't need much motivation to do it. Okay, that's a really important point. And the graphic shows this. But if something is hard to do, then you need lots of motivation to do it. And when your motivation sags, you can no longer do the hard thing. So what the model shows for the first time, not only these three components, motivation, ability, and prompt, but the relationship between ability and motivation. And then
1: that understanding then led to the tiny habits method and other innovations. When I first hear you talk about this almost a decade ago, um, I think it was a TEDx talk or TED talk or something. Mm -hmm. The aha moment for me was like, okay, we have these health professional students who are extremely motivated generally type A, type double A, type people, but focusing building a product that works on their motivation alone is not the right approach. We need to make things yeah. easier and then we need to prompt them. And so our whole like shtick was let's create a mobile app and then start sending push notifications with questions so it makes studying easier, even if they've had a rough day and they just want to sit on the couch and eat Oreos, um, you know, and their willpower has gone to zero. But I think that was the big takeaway I had a decade ago. And I've used that where I can't, I'm super motivated, but I'm not always motivated, but making things easy, like tiny habits, and we go into that, and then prompting at the right time can compensate for that lack of motivation. Yeah, and that's right on, that's
0: right on. Whether you're trying to get your own self to do new habits or others or patients, we just need to recognize that motivation is not a stable thing, it shifts up and down and we're motivated for different things at different times. Like in the morning, you might be really motivated to drink coffee. You're not motivated to do that at seven o'clock at night, at least not most people. And the weekend, you're motivated for different things than you are Monday morning. And just before lunch, you're way more motivated to eat than an hour after lunch. So because our motivation shifts, it's dynamic. What I've done in tiny habits and behavior design more generally is just to acknowledge that's just part of human nature. That's not a flaw that our motivation shifts around. It's human nature. And there are some good things about that but we have to recognize that we can't always get ourselves to do hard things because we can't always have high levels of motivation for studying or for exercising or what have you. So that reality that we won't always have high motivation if you wanna be consistent, then what that leads to, and this is what led to the tiny habits method was looking at my own model, the fog behavior model, and seeing that, If the motivation is low, you can still do behaviors if they're really easy to do. Now, the motivation can't be zero. If the motivation is zero, then it doesn't matter how easy it is. But at least if you have some level of motivation, then you can get yourself to do something really tiny. And the tiny habits method builds on that reality, that fundamental truth about human behavior.
1: Well, in the book, you mentioned your own tiny habit of you know, flossing is a habit Hopefully my sister's not listening. She's a dentist. She knows that flossing has been very hard for me to incorporate. But I, when I sent her the book, I mentioned your tiny habit was just floss one tooth. And maybe you can talk to our audience about how you encourage people to set a tiny habit and then how long it'll take to develop yes. into maybe the bigger habit in your own case.
0: Yeah, well, l- let's keep going with the flossing one. It's a good one. And it's a true one for me. It's one of the first habits I worked on using the tiny habits method. So I recognized that I already knew how to floss all my teeth, but there were times when I wasn't motivated to floss very much. So I said, okay, let's just scale it back. Let's just floss one tooth. Now I know that might sound kind of ridiculous to people, but there actually is a big difference between flossing one tooth and all your teeth. There's a pretty big difference. And if you set the bar that low, like, oh, I'm really tired. I just brushed. I want to go to bed. Okay, I can floss one tooth. Yeah, you can get it done. But if in your mind it's like, oh, I was really tired. I just brushed. I want to go to bed. In many, many cases, people just go to bed and say, oh, I'll floss tomorrow. Now, in the tiny habits method, you take any habit you want and you make it tiny. So, floss all your teeth. You make it one tooth. Maybe you want to do 20 or 30 push ups. You scale that back to one or two push ups. It might even be wall push ups. Um, in the case of vitamins, so I take about you know, vitamin D and other supplements, biotin and so on. And in that case, it's not take one vitamin. I put the vitamins in a dish, a little teeny dish that I put on my work desk. That's the habit. So if you can take the bigger habit and scale it back in the right way, and there's two ways to scale it back. And I talk about this in my book, Tiny Habits. Then the next step is like, where does this fit? naturally in my routine what does it come after and flossing naturally comes after brushing so then the tiny habit recipe becomes after i brush i will floss one tooth Uh, the putting the vitamins in the dish is probably different for different people but for me after i put my breakfast plate by the sink and i tell my partner thank you for breakfast Then I turn to a drawer that I have with all the vitamins. I don't even have to open containers anymore. They're all in these little things. And I just pick up the ones I wanna take and I put them in a dish. So then the tiny habit recipe becomes after I put my breakfast plate down and thank my partner, I will put the vitamins and supplements I want that day into a dish. And I also pour a glass of water and I walk it into my workspace and I put it on the desk. So what you're doing is taking the habit, scaling it back. Number one, number two, you're finding where it fits naturally in your existing routine. What does it come after? And it's gonna be probably for flossing, it's the same for most people. Uh, vitamins, probably different. Push-ups may be different for me. Weirdly enough, the great place to do two push-ups is after I pee when I'm at home. So after I pee, I do two push-ups. Other people, it might be after I start the coffee maker. I do two squats or three squats or two push-ups so you design the habit into your life and you make it really really consistent by making it tiny so the swings in motivation don't derail your intention to do it daily
1: yeah and again i love that where it isn't just you know make a habit so easy or tiny it's how you simplify it even further and kind of get to the motive like the actual human behavior design as as your lab is called you know, another thing I know you do or encourage in the book is after you do the floss, one tooth or do the two push push-ups after you pee, doing a quick celebration, right? So yeah. this was effective where my best friend in high school, I sent him the book. Uh, he now his celebration, you may appreciate this is a, his name's Ian. He love the fact that I mentioned this. He does a double dab in the air. Like, he, like when he does a habit, he like double dab. Bam, follow. bam, 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 exactly. Good for <laughs> you,
0: Ian. Uh, well, so the first part is designing the habit. right, you design it. And the format is the tiny habit recipe format. After I, I will. Then what you're talking about here is reinforcing the habit. In other words, making it more automatic. And I decided to call it celebration, the technique for doing that celebration. So you you do something, and it's different for different people. I'm glad to hear about Ian's. You do something that causes you to feel good in the moment, instantly you're self-reinforcing. You're causing yourself to feel a positive emotion and that's what creates in the brain a reward prediction error. And that's what helps cause that behavior to go just from a behavior into an automatic behavior. In other words, a habit. So the self-reinforcing piece, the celebration piece is really important if you wanna form the habit quickly. And if you're good at celebrating, if you're good at
1: feeling a positive emotion
0: on demand, you will be very good at creating habits
1: quickly. Yeah, no, I love that. And the book is full of these extra things you can be doing, including changing your environment. Like I love the healthy fridge that you and your partner adopted. Like you know, <laughs> super, fridge. I, <laughs> super fridge, ice cream does not go in there. And I've tried my best to, to do super fridge too. Um, now I'm curious, you know, is the tiny habits approach equally effective for stopping bad habits, you know, smoking or drinking or things like yeah. that as it is for starting positive ones? I don't know for sure.
0: I have studied and measured and coached and done, you know, intensive work on using tiny habits to create habits. So yes, for sure that works. It works quickly. It's a very effective method for creating habits. What I've not done intensive research on is using it to stop bad habits. I get emails. I get people that reach out to me and say, Oh, it really helped me with stopping unwanted habits. But I haven't done the research of the science to say, yes, it will work. That said, the challenge of breaking bad habits is a big one. And anybody who tells you they have a proven method for that is misleading you. There is no one proven method for that. It's complicated. Whereas there is one method to create habits. Uh, When you look at them side by side, creating habits is straightforward and simple and can be very fast. Whereas the domain of breaking bad habits, as people call it, is more complicated. And there are different kinds of ways that habits wire into our life, and there's different ways of untangling them. And that's what I talk about in my book, is not the notion of breaking. It's not instant, like breaking. You untangle a bad habit. And it seems to me, again, I haven't done like scientific research to be able to talk with authority about exactly how you do it, but some habits are really easy to break going to the gym. Let's say you had a good gym habit, bam, you broke the habit. So don't let people tell you that breaking habits is hard. Sometimes it's really easy, <laughs> but to your question. And when people talk or ask me about breaking bad habits, they are talking about behaviors that they've wanted to stop. And they weren't able to just by saying, Oh, I'm going to stop smoking or stop drinking or stop using social media and so on. And those are more complicated because the reasons they wire into your brain and the way they have become part of your environment is varied okay there's just not one approach to that it depends a habit isn't just the action somebody does it's the person doing the action in a context and you saw this in my book it's the pack person model person action context so when you think about any behavior including Uh, stopping an unwanted habit, it's this person doing this action in this context. And those are the factors you need to consider. It's not just the action alone. And that's why it makes the challenge of coming up with a universal way to help people break bad habits, that's a huge challenge. And I don't think there is one way because you've got person action context. And for that given action, like smoking, There's different types of people with different relationships to smoking, and there's different contexts for smoking. And so it's just not a simple, straightforward thing. So then when you look back at creating habits, it's like, yeah, that's straightforward. You know, there's
1: a really straightforward, easy way to create habits. Yeah. That makes sense. And I remember the untying the knot of bad habits was effective because I think people, when they use the wrong words or the wrong analogies, um, they can come to the wrong conclusions. And so I think that was a particularly effective one that I, I recommend. I remember uh, parroting to other people because you, you can untangle one knot, but there could be 10 knots in that one bad yeah. habit. Um, and what
0: I like about that, and that's the word that I put forth in my book. I have a chapter on stopping unwanted behaviors. You know, All behavior will come back to motivation, ability prompt, including bad habits. And if you can take away motivation, you're done, but you can't always take away motivation for social media or snacks. If you can take away ability, you're done you can't always do that if you can take away the prompt you're done okay but we all know that you know for like the ice cream habit we had in our home i wasn't going to be able to take away the prompt the prompt was oh we're relaxing and we're watching a movie that was the prompt and then the uh motivation was we love ice cream and the ability was it's in the freezer so the way we solved that is we just said nope no ice cream in the house it's banned we have a policy and that worked in that case so In cases like that, if you make a behavior very difficult or impossible, you can stop the habit. But using your phone, can you like stop using your phone completely? Maybe not, but you can delete an app. So there's a kind of complexity in that. It will all come back to motivation, ability, prompt, yes. But it's the person doing that action in a context and we have to account for those different
1: factors. Definitely, that makes sense. And you know, so we talked about some of the habits, and you talk about this in the book that you've incorporated the flossing habit, the push-ups habit. Uh, I love your Maui habit. You wake up and say, hey, "Today's gonna be a great day." As well as your identity now. You went from having an outcome to a process to now identity as a surfer. You are a surfer, and so you wear shirts that say, "You know, I love surf" and things like that. <laughs> you actually live in Maui once in a while, and so. I'm in Maui right now. And I went out to the waves this morning and I said
0: this morning, it's going to be a great day.
1: Yes. I <laughs> just love the Maui habit. Um, what, what are some current like identities or habits you're trying to create in your life? If you have any.
0: Well, so here in Maui, I have a room dedicated to zoom in my zoom room. As I look around, I have a keyboard, a Yamaha digital piano right there. I play that 30 to 45 minutes every morning in the dark. It's the first thing I do after I pee and drink a ton of water. And so I'm writing songs right now with a wonderful songwriter. I wouldn't have expected that like in November when I said, oh, I'm going to create a habit of playing the piano every day. And I was. And then that expanded and it found a new spot because I wasn't doing it first thing in the morning. But then it found a new spot in the morning. And now I just love it. And sometimes I play way too long and I don't have to force myself to do it. I have to force myself kind of to stop. So there it is right there, easy to do. Um, and then I have this kind of huge flute right there. So I like to think of myself as a musician. Yeah. I'm not that good a musician, but now with doing the songwriting and two of the songs have been produced, now kind of thinking maybe I'm a songwriter <laughs> and I'm writing more lyrics. Every day I write lyrics. I have two other musical instruments over here, I'm gonna play one of them here. So, so I got music stuff around me because I music really matters. Uh, the fact that I'm in Maui and the fact that I have orchids in the room and plants, I really identify as a person who is connected to nature. I have a whole bunch of nature habits, which by the way, everybody, <laughs> some of the most important habits you can have are nature habits. And then, here still in the Zoom room, I have a kettlebell there. I've got dumbbells there. I've got a massage chair right there, which I love. And then I have these little calf stretcher things, phone things, and I'm at a stand up desk. So, all of this didn't happen at once. It was me deciding I want to get better at music, which then led to a pretty serious musical practice and writing songs. Uh, I want to be more connected to nature. I started this probably 10 years ago, which actually led to us buying a place in Maui and living here half time among surfing and other things. And then wanting to stay healthy and vibrant led to a bunch of physical activities, um, but also redesigning our living space. So, oh, we have a, a rower in the living room as well. <laughs> so when I got back from surfing, I rode as well. So. Just making it really, really easy to do the types of physical activity or nutrition or music or connecting with nature. And I didn't do it all at once. When you feel successful doing something tiny, that's what changes your identity, okay? So if I sit down and just play a few chords on the piano, like in November, and I felt successful because it sounded good. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, my old skills at piano are coming back. I started reclaiming the identity of the musician. When I feel successful rowing or, you know, lifting the kettlebells or whatever, even when I start at the early stages, if I feel successful, that helps change my identity as I'm the kind of person who's physically active. Those identity shifts then lead to a cascade of other changes in your life. And I don't describe it in the book this way, but in some ways that's kind of the breakthrough. You don't have to design like a whole Zoom room of musical instruments and fitness gear. Just do what excites you and do it in the tiny habits way and help yourself feel successful, which will shift your identity. And then you will naturally do other behaviors that align with that new identity. And you'll have more than one identity. Musician. I'd like to call myself a waterman. That's the Identity for somebody who's always an ocean. I'm not sure I live up to <laughs> that. Um, somebody who's physically active. You know? So these identities can feel authentic and they establish themselves and grow based on if you feel successful. And the surprise is even the tiniest of uh, flossing one tooth and feeling successful about that helps you think I'm the kind of person who takes care of my teeth. And more broadly, perhaps I'm the kind of person who takes care of my body. So just feeling successful flossing can lead to other habits and actions around taking care of your body. So that's what really excites me. You don't have to design you know, hundreds of new habits in your life, just get started and let the process work naturally.
1: Absolutely, and you talk very eloquently in the book about how the habit can get deeper. So instead of just one tooth, it's all your teeth or it goes from flossing teeth to then doing these other things that are, I'm the type of person who takes care of their body. And then most interestingly, it goes from you as the example to then your friends, your family, seeing that change you made in your life and the social movement aspect that you talk about in the book. Yeah, and before we move on, let me
0: correct something or a lot of people get this wrong and I wanna make sure, especially this audience, y'all listening to get this accurate. That tiny habits method is not do two push-ups and the next week I do three and the next week I do five and you raise the bar. No, that's not the tiny habits method. The tiny habits method is you set the bar low, like two push-ups or one wall push-up, if that's what you want, or one tooth flossing, and you keep it low. You do not raise the bar on yourself, but any day that you want to floss all your teeth or do 20 push-ups, you do as much as you want. And that includes day one. If on day one, flossing, you want to floss on your teeth, do it. That's great. But count all the other teeth as extra credit. Count all the other push-ups as extra credit. And really, really important, don't raise the bar on yourself. That's hard for us to do, at least uh, for me and a lot of people like me, because we've been raised for like continuous improvement and get better and better and better. What you need to do in the tiny habits method, set the bar low, keep it low, overachieve whenever you feel like it, but don't raise the bar. Don't raise your expectations. So I floss all my teeth twice a day now, pretty much. I mean, there'll be times like last night I was super tired, so I missed a few teeth. I have some really tough teeth. And I was like, okay, I'm done. And you don't feel bad about that. And there might be a time, let's say next week I'm super busy, I'll just floss one tooth and go, bam, I did it. That's fine. I'm moving on and I'm not going to feel bad about it. Because I didn't raise the bar and I understand that I'll get back to it the next day and I'll do all my teeth probably the next day.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. Thanks for clarifying that. I mean, our audience tends to be very type A, very driven. You know, get an A in organic chemistry, then I'll get to med school, then become a neurosurgeon, then I'll save millions of life, <laughs> those kind of things. So it's it's good clarification. That's me too. <laughs> That's <laughs> me
0: too. And this is why, and I'm a person who loves novelty and I love improvisation. That's why it's kind of like odd that i am like the habits guy you know that i developed a method maybe it's appropriate that i needed a method because i'm a guy that likes to wing it you know i'm great at cramming for tests i'm you know all of that yeah i'm sure this people can relate to this um so i'm not a natural habit person but there are skills of habit formation and i map those out in the book and you can learn those skills and
1: some of them are counterintuitive like set the bar low and keep it low I did want to make sure we had time. I know we're coming up on time asking you about the work that you've done with nurses and burnout and just healthcare providers in general, and then any advice you'd give to them about leveraging tiny habits to improve not only their own lives, but the lives of their patients. Yeah, my sister and I did a project with a large uh,
0: research hospital, and we trained the nurses and ER staff in the tiny habits method. We did a pretest, test post-test, you know, a solid study design. And we taught them how to design the tiny habits. Like we talked about, we taught them how to celebrate and they started celebrating each other and the results were terrific. Some of the significant findings were they reported exact phrases. I'm able to design positive habits at home. That was significant. I practiced building resilience techniques throughout my day, yes. I recognize when something goes well at work, yes. I practice healthy habits, daily work and so on. So it really did work. I know it would work because I'd coached thousands and thousands of people. But the thing that surprised me was the insight that the busier you are, the more stressed you are, the less time you have, the less energy you have, the more appropriate it is to use the tiny habits method. Mm. These nurses and ER workers couldn't go out and walk for an hour they couldn't meditate for 30 minutes. I mean, they were just pushing it to get a sip of water. I mean, they had a culture of, we don't drink water on our shifts because that means we're not caring for the patients. And that was kind of part of the culture. And fortunately that shifted when they started doing tiny habits, but it helped me doing that work. Yeah, it was great to see the impact on their professional lives and their personal lives. Like they were more there for their kids and their spouses, but it made me realize the busier they are, the more they need the tiny habits method and that the big leap methods are not
1: going to work for those people. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And uh, again, just to be respectful of your time, I do want to ask you two last questions. One is what advice would you give to our audience? Um, Again, many of them current or future healthcare professionals about meeting the challenges of COVID and beyond tiny habits or otherwise, I mean, you're a professor, you've had a very interesting career. What advice would you like to give them?
0: I guess there are two directions. One is about your own life and two is to be prepared to help others. Maybe you already are in a clinical setting. In your own life, just start practicing habits. Use the tiny habits method. I mean, get my book and do the free five-day program and there's other videos and so on and be playful with it. Okay, don't try to be perfect follow directions of the tiny habits method. If you say, Oh, after I you know, brush my teeth, I'm going to run for an hour. That's not the tiny habits method. Cause it's not tiny. So start playing around with habits in your life, being guided by what I've outlined in the tiny habits method, and you will find what works for you play around with celebrations to find what celebrations work for you and be nice to yourself all along the way. We're just too hard on ourselves. And that's one of the big insights in doing this work was we change best by feeling good, not by feeling bad. Okay, so be nice to yourself, have compassion. You won't, nobody's perfect in this change process. And then if you are working with others, help them first to be nice to themselves, but help them understand how the tiny habits method works and applying it very practically in their lives. I had a physician um, and he didn't know, I was writing the book, Tiny Habits at the time. And you know I was really busy burning the candle at both ends. And he said, okay, I'm gonna teach you a meditation technique right now. When you are stressed, do this. And during that 15 minute visit, he took time to actually teach me a new breathing technique that I didn't know. And he says, that's what you do. And I walked out of there and I was like, oh my gosh, he just killed it. He didn't even have my book yet. <laughs> so even within that limited time frame, I so admire that physician for taking the time and teaching me a very very simple thing to do and helping me contextualize it. And so I think it is possible, and help people change where they want to change. I mean, my physician wasn't getting me to do things I didn't want to do. He was listening to my concerns, saying, "Okay, here is something you can do," and he made it work within the time frame. <laughs> so it's not impossible, people. Um, And one of the key things is just get people going, just get them started. And once they start, they build hope. That's one of the main things of the tiny habits method, especially the five day program is it gives people hope. And then with hope, they do more and they do bigger things.
1: I love that. That's a great example, a personal example. And it's timely because uh, the interview we have after this is with James Nestor, who wrote the book Breath. Uh, you may know that book. Awesome. Um, yeah. And breathing is definitely an interesting a place you can easily build habits with the tiny habits method in a way that can be stress reducing and overall health promoting. My last question for you. Is there anything else you'd like our audience to know about you, about tiny habits, about anything else we haven't discussed today? I'd like to leave them with. Yeah, it's...
0: There's two sides, there's a negative and positive side. The negative side I'll start with. There's so much crap out there about habits and behavior change, be discriminating. I mean, there's so much garbage out there that has misled people for generations, such as repetition creates habits. That's not what creates habits. Or it's just an information problem if people just knew they would do differently, right? There's so caution, (laughs) caution. Um, But on the flip side, the positive side, Now, there is a systematic way to think about behavior and to design for behavior, design for habits. I do feel like what I share in tiny habits uh, from the behavior model, the tiny habits method and other things was given me to share. And I feel a huge obligation to share it. And I'm not gonna be shy about, it's a very important, how do I say this, solve, it's a breakthrough. Now, other people have taken my work and repackaged it in some forms, but if you want the full treatment, go to tiny habits. And there's, I I just think it's really good news that we now know what the components of behavior are. We now know how to help ourselves and others create habits quickly and easily. And now that you know that, then it's just a matter of, man, what habits should I form? What habits do I want? because you can transform your life now. So now it comes back to you or the person you're helping to really understand what do they want and help them achieve what they want. And creating habits is one of the most, I guess, uh, impactful things you can do to achieve your dreams. And I'll end with that.
1: (laughs) I love that too, because even though we call the podcast Raise the Line, which is how do we improve healthcare capacity, train more healthcare workers? I really think the work you are doing with behavior design uh, can get more people to flatten the curve, not just the curve of COVID, but, you know, the more they take care of their own health, the less diabetes mm-hmm. they'll have, the less endocrinologists will need, because we just won't have enough endocrinologists for everyone with diabetes in the future. We don't currently, and we won't in the future, but if we can get people to change their behavior, design their behavior intentionally, the way mm-hmm. you describe, and and frankly, use the book as like a treatment, as you describe, um, versus just pills, I think that's what the future will be. Great. Well, thank
0: you again for inviting me. Um, sharing with your audience is so important to me because I just want my methods to get into the world and working through healthcare providers and healthcare systems is one of the best ways. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you for taking the time and all the work that you've done, obviously. It's, I'm a personal advocate of it. And uh, with that, thanks to our audience for listening. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together, and go ahead and start your tiny habits. Take care.
0: For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash the line podcast.